I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative. Uh, we're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, that we would see the people in them as real people and that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast? And what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the breakfast translation. So in these chapters, Acts 20 to 26, Paul is on a world tour of sorts. He's traveling to all these places. He's playing his hits. Uh, but it's mostly a, like a legal situation that he finds himself in. He's right. Sent, he's sent to all these different rulers to tell his story and make his case. And so we just get several stories in a row of him in a courtroom battle. And so it had me, I thought we should maybe just talk for a while if we have any favorite stories or like favorite movies, TV shows, like what are, what are our first things we think about when we think about a courtroom scene, right? This is a common premise in movies and TV shows. Do you have a favorite one? Absolutely. My introduction to courtroom drama was Judge Trudy. Um, <laughs> if anyone remembers the Amanda show, it was super popular when I was from like maybe nine years old to 13. I loved this show. Um, it's sketch comedy and Amanda Bynes plays a spinoff of Judge Judy where kids put their parents on trial okay. for miscellaneous wrongdoings, like right. groundings and different punishments of the sort. So that was my my intro. This is a chapter of the Amanda Bynes story I was not, I was not familiar with. What a yes, a young, a young Amanda. Okay. <laughs> And then, and it was like, so was she kind of mean, like Judge Judy? She yes. Of, yeah. And she, yep. She spoke like Judge Judy, wore a wig like Judge Judy. <laughs> I don't think Judge Judy wears the wig, but it was really silly, but I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, I do. I love the idea of kids like bring their parents to trial. Cause I, mm -hmm. I think I, I remember feeling that way. Like this is, feels unfair, right? There's no, there's no justice in this house. Right. So I like the idea of kids having an outlet for that. Yeah, and it was fun because all of the Nickelodeon stars of that time would be the people who were brought in, kind of like a little, a little SNL. <laughs> it was cute. Yeah, what about you? Well, that reminds me of one of my favorite ones happening right now is the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Do you know that? Um, a little bit about it. Yeah, he, he is kind of a character actor. He was... A lot of people probably know him as playing PC in the Apple PC commercial <laughs> um, where he kind of embodied it, like the PC and the idea of those commercials is that they're kind of nerdy and out of date or whatever. But he is, he's a really smart guy, but he has people bring him very small disputes. So people who are like roommates and they're trying to decide if they have too many plants, they could bring their case to, to Judge John Hodgman. Um, and he would he craft a final judgment like yes too many plants you are allowed five <laughs> he gives them very specific and I think mostly helpful 
advice. Oh yeah. The the latest episode was a, a guy who his wife well, I think the, the husband brought the wife to court for using too much glitter in their house. <laughs> and then he had like sensory issues of finding glitter all over the house. So it's a it's a really good listen if people haven't heard of it, about the judge, John Hodgman. It's also family friendly. So if you're going on a long road trip and you want something to listen to in the car, it's a good one. Uh, but I think when I think of like courtroom shows, the first one I think of is Ally McBeal. And you said you haven't, you're not familiar with the Ally McBeals. No, was, I'm not. I was probably watching Ally McBeal while you were watching the Amanda show. Because I think how the timing of that works out. Oh, that's awesome. Because it's an old show, like in the late 90s, early 2000s or so. But it was like all these young people who worked for a law firm. And it was right around the time when there was a ton of like lawsuits about like sexual harassment and sex and politics in the workplace. And so uh, they, they only took on cases that had to do with that at this law firm, but it was also a musical. So, of course. Yeah. Very often during the show, somebody would burst into song. And sometimes it was just because Ally McBeal was imagining it. So there was a long running bit where she would imagine people, she would imagine Al Green showing up and singing, um, or she would imagine her friends dancing to Al Green. Uh, it's a super, it's a way funny show. Like there are some bits in it that are, that are really, I think, hold up. Right. Um, even though some of the the drama and the politics of it are, have shifted, hopefully. You I know. know, it sounds like an, an unlikely combo. Like, yeah. Political I drama meets musical absurdism. That's right. It, it's totally absurdist. Yeah. Uh, do you remember that Dancing Baby? It, it was like one of the very first, gif gifts i think was yes i remember <laughs> clip in of a dancing baby and that started on the ally McBeal show there was a time oh. it was kind of groundbreaking um it was also so they also had a unisex bathroom at their law firm um which was a like a punchline you know a lot of ways it was just a setup for a lot of oh i'm sure it could lead to some <laughs> so, uh but I think of like dramatic moments too, like uh, like A Few Good Men, it's like the classic one with Jack Nicholson saying all those dramatic things in the courtroom. Right. And then A Time to Kill is also a famous one where I think Matthew McConaughey is uh, trying to convict these white men uh, in the rape and assault of this young black girl. And he very dramatically tells her story. And then at the very end, he says, now imagine she was white and I think that movie just made an impression on me because it was so sad to me that that was the only way uh, for people to be empathetic um, right I'm sure it made an impact on on a lot of people and it's interesting to see television and um, movies sort of framing narratives in courtrooms yeah, and that's why go back to those kind of stories is because it's all about perception, and you know, in these in these moments, how much a lawyer can just change the way people see the story. And so we actually see Paul doing that in these chapters. Is that he he mostly tells the same story over and over again, but every once in a while he shifts it just a little bit to match the audience or the crowd, or to make the case that he's trying to make on that day. Uh, but before we get into the courtroom stuff, 
there is a little bit of action in Acts 20. Uh, we have Paul giving just a, a sermon and the, the church community has gathered together and he is talking and a young man named Eutychus uh, falls asleep. Mm-hmm. And he tells us that he was sitting in a window and I, I really love the way that Luke writes this. Yeah, this read it word for word. <laughs> it says that Eutychus, he was sitting in the window. He began to sink into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer, which it sounds like Luke is being just a little bit passive aggressive there. Yeah, a little, a little cheeky. Like, come on, wrap it up, Paul. Just kept talking, um, which, which reminds me that we haven't actually talked about what Luke, the author, would eat for breakfast. Yes, we'll come back to that. But let's just so people aren't left with this this person falling out the window. Uh, it does seem like Eutychus, like whether he's just knocked out or he's unconscious or like people are like alarmed that he has died from this. Um, and we have a moment where it certainly seems like Paul uh, brings him back to life, which if you're going to talk for too long, it's nice to have it in your back pocket that you could resurrect somebody. Just it was the case. least he could do. <laughs> Just in case you kill somebody with your long-windedness, it's nice to be able to bring them back to life. Um, so yeah, I think this story, again, we'll talk about how we need more funny things. This is at least a little bit funny, which you don't expect from the death of a young boy. Um, but it does have a little bit of humor to it, mostly because of how Luke writes it. So let's talk quick. Like, what do you have any impression? Again, we're going to see uh, Luke show up in the story. He's going to jump in on some of these courtroom battles and some of these travels. We see a few more of these wee passages where Luke is himself a part of the story that he is telling. Uh, but do you have any feel for what he would have for breakfast? Well, the two things that I'm basing this off of is that Luke is a medical guy. Um, yeah. And Luke thinks Paul was talking too long. So I am going to put speed in the mix because I, I don't know exactly what the day-to-day -day looked like for um, people interested in the medical field looked like back then, but I know now all my pals are super busy um, yeah. study medicine. And um, so I'm going to go with just a classic cereal and on the go, quick fix. Time to put milk on that. Mm. <laughs> out, right straight out of the miniature box. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a gas station thing right is those uh, the kind that you can rip the lid off and it's right there it's like a bowl but then you throw it away right um i wondered about that so we we do know that he has he sometimes referenced as a physician he does seem concerned with medical issues sometimes or like the description of things um but i wondered if he had to forego breakfast to get his writing done Oh yeah, because he, he did both. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's this whole thing, and again, we don't know. We're just speculating. But have you ever heard about the like the magic morning pages? Do you know about that? No. It's this whole principle in writing that when you wake up in the morning, your brain has the fewest filters. So <laughs> for creative folks, there's something to be said for like just rolling out of bed and writing for an hour. Uh 
and a, a writer, like a person named Julia Cameron, who like, she wrote a book called The Artist Way that's all about like getting through creative blocks and making stuff. And she's the person who recommends this, that people should get up. And first thing they should do is like take 30 to 40 minutes and just write three full pages. Um, and there's a whole lot of reasons behind that. I think it's that idea that we're less critical of ourselves in the morning, um, that your morning self might be your, your sort of dreamiest self, that your brain is in this liminal space where you might have more imagination. So I want, we don't know what Luke's writing habits were, but he wrote an awful lot for somebody who also had doctoring skills. Um, so I did wonder if he maybe skipped breakfast uh, to get that, those morning pages done. I might have to try to take advantage of that theory. I think that that makes sense in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've had a lot of friends who tried it and have said good things about it. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe then you could write funny stories about people falling out of windows. Mm -hmm. um, as, we, as we go on in the story, uh, we do get into this, this pattern where Paul is in front of people telling his story. And I think this is kind of fascinating that, you know, as, as far as we know, most of what Paul taught in the synagogues was the gospel, right? It was the story of Jesus. It was about, it was about what Jesus was up to. And we know that we've seen other, we've seen Stephen give this big long speech about how Jesus was the next chapter and what God was up to. We have a lot of other long speeches. But what's interesting to me in these chapters is that Paul, when he's given a microphone and he's given a chance to talk to a lot of people, he presents his own personal story. That he gives voice to what God has done in his life. And part of that is because he's the one who's on the defense, right? Um, but I think it's also him like wanting to show what God is capable of. And so he tells his own story. Yeah, his testimony. Yeah. Do you wanna do you wanna sum that up for people? <laughs> yes. Yes. So I'm I'm Paul. Um I was born very Jewish, um, very traditionally Jewish, and I used to kill Christians. I don't anymore. Um, I had an experience where I was blind, and then in Damascus, I could then see, and now I, I spread the good word. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Yep. And he also drops names once in a while when he finds that to be useful. So he talks about the Barnabas and Ananias and some of the people who, you know, he gives his like references like you do when you're filling out a resume or whatever. Yeah, name name dropping a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely the, and some of those details, right? Like he doesn't, he, he doesn't just say I'm, I'm Jewish. He's, I was super Jewish. Like I was in the Pharisees under Gamaliel, like gives all his credentials. He took the murdering piece of the puzzle, like, um, and, but I think that's a part of what he's trying to do, right, is to say that this crucial piece about me changed because of what I learned. Um, and so I wondered, I was trying to think about an answer for this myself, and I don't know if you have one or not, but uh, do you have anything like that where you could say, you know, it's the I once was blind, but now I see kind of a story? I know. I was, I was born... 
Right. With the pivot, I was born into a Christian household. So I've spent a lot of my adult life. I feel like trying to figure that out, um, trying to navigate what, what in me is different because of, of my faith. Yeah. I think, especially when I was young, like one thing that did change in me, but then I, I go back to the, to being my pre Jesus self sometimes, but I do remember very specifically that as a kid, I figured out that being mean was funny to some people mm. and, and that you could like get people to like you by saying funny, mean things about other people. So I do remember specifically after my like eighth grade conversion or whatever, like coming back to high school and not knowing what to say anymore. Because you couldn't. So I was like, well, the stuff I used to say was pretty mean and I don't think I'm supposed to say that. So there was like a year or so where I was just real quiet. Like transitioning. Because <laughs> I was trying to find my way through, through that change. Oh. Um, and I think on a, there are, there are more instances than that where I can just say um, that where I felt hopeless I then felt hope. I feel like it's a lot more subtle in me. <laughs> it isn't as dramatic as, as Paul. Um, and that's good because we wouldn't want all of us to go around in that murderous state for too long. Right. We don't, we don't want a lot of us in that, in that before place. Um, Everyone has their story. <laughs> <that's right. laughs> but I do think that's an important it's an important note that telling the story of Jesus, I think it's even more important maybe in our world to, to not just say, this is who I think God is, but to say, this is why God matters to me. So there does seem to be a need for us to be able to articulate. If it's not some giant behavioral shift, it's at least being able to voice, this is why this matters. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And even in, I'm, I'm kind of new to the um, eight to five workplace environment and learning what it means to be a Christian in that environment, even when it's not ideal has been something that I'm trying to learn how to shift. Cause there's certain things that come with, like certain benefits, I suppose that come with like efficiency and moving forward with certain conversations. Like I'd be able to get more done and move on faster, but learning when are good times to slow down and listen to people, even if it's not going to be maybe the best for productivity. I don't know, small things like that, that make it feel different to be a Christian. Yeah. I think workplace culture can be a really tough place to not just do what everybody else is doing. It's, it, it mimics, in some ways we don't really ever grow up out of middle school, you know? Right. And, and that temptation to like complain about people or to complain about the work or to, yeah, to be something less than what we see in the life of Jesus is a, is an easy, an easy battle to lose. Um, there are, as much as Paul really does kind of stick to this greatest hit, uh, there are a few moments, and I don't want to, I think we get bogged down if we talk through like chapter and verse of this, but every once in a while, he does like, especially if he's talking in a crowd where there's more Jewish people, he plays up the Jewish piece of his resume. And then when he when he's talking in front of the Gentile rulers, 
uh, it plays up him talking about, I think it mentions in chapter 24, he talks about justice and self-control and judgment. And so it's almost like he shifts um, some of his message based on the crowd. Right. He knows his audience. Yeah, which we saw him do so much of in that that speech to Athens. Mm -hmm. uh, but he does it here, too, where it's still like fundamentally his story is still the same. But he has a way of knowing like what would be useful or helpful to tell the people in front of me right now. Um, which I think is also a part of telling our story. It's like figuring out what what parts of who I am are right to show somebody. Right. Yeah. Like if you're sharing with your family versus your college friends versus your high school friends, it's they they your world was a little bit different in each of those spaces. So yeah. you know, receive. This is something we've talked about with Paul, but um a lot of what we're seeing in Acts is the background of his letters, right? So I think there are a bunch of things in these chapters that are reflections of his letters, one of which is this idea that he talks about in 1 Corinthians, where he says, I have become all things to all people, and in order that some might be saved. And so here we see him doing the thing that he talks about being useful to do which is that if you're talking to Gentiles who want to talk about justice and self-control, then that's the piece of your story you emphasize. If you're talking to Jewish folks who want to see your family heritage and your commitment to righteousness and holiness, then that's what you talk about. Um, so there were, I saw a few things like this uh, in just in this section. We also, he gives like a, he mentioned something about how, you know, he would be okay with dying like his, the peace he has with his own death that he really only sees his ministry as the thing worth living for. That's something that comes up in his letters and that also comes up here in these chapters. At so very often in his letters, he also talks about experiencing persecution. And these, these chapters are the this best. Is that. <laughs> here he is being flogged. And there's one moment where he's put into chains and so all this language that shows up in his letters, here it is. Uh, and I find there to be, I, I'm not a person who like, I don't know if you're like this. I don't care a lot about historical accuracy sometimes. Like I don't need them to go dig and find out if there was an ark. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree. But it is kind of powerful that in these ancient documents, you have one document written by a guy named Luke who had cereal in the morning and he tells his story. And then you have all these other uh, cor corroborating documents since we're talking legal. I think that's a legal word, corroborating. Well, that you have all these pieces of evidence of Paul's letters and the, the cohesion between them is really strong. Um, that would do it. This is a really good hoax. If it's a hoax, uh, it's very well done. Um, again, it's like not a thing that I need, but I see it here and I just kind of appreciate it. I know. I, I appreciate it as well. Um, there are a few other things we learn here. Uh, one of the things we learn is that Paul has a nephew. That's something that we didn't know. Uncle uh, Paul. 
Yeah, he's Uncle Paul. He's Uncle Saul Paul uh, to his nephew, uh, who learns about a plot to ambush Paul. This is one of the, again, we're not going to dig into the details, but there is a moment where there are these, I think there was 40 of them, who they all signed an oath that they were going to kill Paul. Yes. Did you catch that? Yeah, I think they in the, I think they said we are not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. Yeah, no breakfast for them. No breakfast. Uh, that is, it's like the opposite of a fast. You know, like when people, like holy people, like fast to hear from God. These were forty guys who were just fasting to kill, uh, which is because then the idea of fasting is like every time a meal would come along, you would you would think about why you're not eating. Right. <laughs> they just were building. Um, they were getting super hangry. I bet. I bet. And they're not. They're not waking up in the morning doing their magic writing pages. Mm-mm. They're waking up in the morning with like blood in their mouth, like sharpening their knives. So great to kill this guy. Just a piece of humanity that's always hard for me to imagine. But there they are. Uh, we also learn one of the things we talk about is how Paul has this Roman citizenship, and. We don't really know why he has it, but we do find out in chapter 22 that he bought it, um, which I don't know exactly how that plays out. I don't know how you buy citizenship. I can't help but imagine him like going to the back of a convenience store, like when people get uh, fake IDs. <laughs> <laughs> and saying, hey, hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, some kind of backroom deal. But he says it was very expensive. Um, so $200. Yeah. Oh, that's, I can't even imagine that much money. Uh, So that's like a fun thing to learn. Yeah, we also learned that he has his eyes. There there are two points where he like sets his sights on a place. Um, Early on in these chapters, he sets his sights on Jerusalem, um, which he, there's also a moment in Jesus' story when he decides I'm going to Jerusalem. And in Jesus' story, he knows that's probably where he's going to die. And for Paul, it's where he knows he's at least going to be in really big trouble. And then he also has his eyes set on Rome. We know he really wants to get to Rome. That's like, he has that out in front of him. It's on his dream calendar uh, is to get to Rome. And I think it's worth talking about how uh, Paul and Jesus' stories, in a lot of ways, they mimic each other, right? I mean, do you remember this in Luke when Jesus gets like sent around to all these different rulers? They're, it's a very similar story. Right. And then here we are, Paul's kind of going through all the same motions. Um, did you see any other any other similar, similarities there and how that worked out? Uh, well, Paul, Paul talked a lot more. <laughs> yes. I guess that's the difference. Yeah, that's a big difference. Um, and I always, I always just thought there's got to be some point to that, right? Jesus has, he's sent around, he's offered the microphone. He's offered the chance to defend himself and to make his case and to give his big speech or to break out in song like he was in Ally McBeal. He's offered that opportunity and he very often just stays silent or he says like really simple things. But Paul talk still longer. Um, The only reason I can think of for that is that Paul has a a purpose to talking that 
he wants the story of Jesus told. Um, what do you think? Yeah, That's- he's got an audience. Yeah. Even in a, a courtroom setting is unusual, but an audience is an audience. All, yeah. all press is good press. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what I was thinking is it's, there has to be some equivalent to the news. And so the things that happen in courtrooms, that's the, that's the thing that culture hums about. Right. I got to imagine everyone in the community is talking about what's happening and in, in behind these built walls. Yeah, and so how powerful is it that when he does get the mic, his story is, I used to kill Christians, and now I am one. And so it's fairly beautiful um, that he has worked out how to tell the story and how to tell a story both about who he is and who Jesus is to him. and there's one other thing that they they have in common, <laughs> which is that they're innocent, right? They're innocent. yeah. At the end, they keep saying, "But but move on to this next show." <laughs> I I, I, I love that. In the the ending of the chapters we look at, twenty to twenty six. In case we haven't figured this out, Luke does this like obvious note. Um where he's, he has Agrippa say, this guy could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to the emperor. And so in case we didn't catch it, Luke is making it explicit here that the reason Paul speaks and the reason he keeps making appeals is to get to the largest possible audience. Right. Um, and I didn't, um, I didn't understand that on my first reading. I thought I was like, oh, Paul you (laughs) you messed up but it's it is it's intentional he's trying to get in front of people in whatever way even though it's incredibly risky yeah and I think that you know if you've watched any movies or tv shows you don't you want our like natural storytelling inclination would be towards freedom right right winning means yeah winning means you're free you're innocent Right. I mean, we well, depending on yeah, on trial. If we wanted him, if this was a movie about Paul, what you would want would be for him to be sent home, and and we've seen that, right? We've seen a bunch of the apostles be imprisoned, and then get sent home, and you want that, but Paul himself sees something bigger, like he sees something that's possible that would be against our instincts probably and against our self-preservation um there was one other note that we had that we were going to talk about uh this is in chapter 22 there's one point where uh paul has just he's just upset people (laughs) again not maybe because he's talking too much maybe because he's trying to shift their entire understanding of how the world works and who god is and what they are um but there's a moment in this is in 22 22 it says up to this point they listened to him but then they shouted away with such a fellow from the earth and i don't have any great i don't think we have any big theological things to gain from this except to say that's a it's a real harsh burn yeah he he paul must have built up some resilience because if somebody says that my 
shirt looks weird. My feelings are hurt for a long time. No one has ever told me to get off the planet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Keep yeah, your comments to yourself. <laughs> if you do. The iTunes, yeah. And say away with these podcasters from there. Yeah, it's just such a, a harsh, it's, it's very harsh, right? And I think that gives us, as much as I just sort of enjoy the phrase, because I think it sounds so like poetic, um, so away with this fellow, such a fellow from the earth, it also goes to show like how much he's stirring people up, unless you're Eutychus. Right. You're just like, then he's depressant. So tired. Um, so in all of these, in all these legal scenes, did you see any, any invitation here? Like anything that made you want to wake up tomorrow different? I know the thing that my brain has been holding on to that we talked about earlier is that idea of Paul's big light bulb switch that he gets to um, exclaim to people. I want to think about where that might surface in myself in ways that I don't always um, see as obvious to my own eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big idea for all of us to sit with when we read this. Um, and I, I think it, the subtle shifts are also shifts. I know. I think so, too. I want to I want to be able to recognize recognize those in myself and in other people. I, I feel like that happens just in life, too. I remember. Um, I think it was like in my mid maybe when I was like 30 something where every once in a while something would happen that they would have used to have made me really upset. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, as I got like a little bit older, I would, I would just be able to handle it, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'd be like, Hey, what's this feeling that I have where I just handle something right? Like a little bit more mature. And, and sometimes that isn't like the, the loss of sight for three days and the big dramatic thing, but it is you know, it's 10 years later and some subtle thing that used to be angry in you is less angry. Mm-hmm. And that's also the work of God. Yeah. And it's the makeup of an entire life. And I just think that's really wonderful. And I want to be able to give honor to that if where it is present. Well, and that's why I think like learning how to tell our own stories is important because it's when you have to tell your story that you then see that stuff. Right. If you're just going through your day trying to make it through all the things you got to do, you don't stop to think about how am I different from my 15 year old self? Um, right. How would I watch Ali McBeal differently these days? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, it is that, um, and it looks very different in my life than it does in Saul Paul's life, but that laying down your guard and your need to protect yourself and defend yourself, you know, as much as he does he makes these big speeches, but he's not, not necessarily self-defense, if that makes sense. You know, like he is, he's willing to do this because it leads him to more and more trouble. Right. So he's not making a defense to get the charges dropped. He's making the defense to be heard. Um, and he's actually putting himself in more danger the more he defends himself. Yeah, he's not building walls with his defense. Yeah, so I think I, 
I wonder if there's, you know, where am I willing to step into a little more danger sometimes? And sometimes that, that just means, you know, having a the more difficult conversation, you know, there can be a way of, of putting ourselves in some sort of relational danger. Um, so I think I'm impressed by that piece of Paul, which again, he talks about in his letters, like that idea of self of sacrificing yourself and of not protecting yourself and of, of honoring God with your body. But here we see him actually doing that. Uh, and it's, it's impressive for sure. And maybe writing in the morning. Maybe that might also be something we need to do. I was going to sprinkle that in as well. It sounds like it sounds like it works. Yeah. But I do think the way Luke tells a story, I, I always appreciate it. And it always makes me think he could be like this crafty way back then. That's kind of beautiful. So, um, okay. So a lot in these chapters and for as much as we've just been sitting around listening, uh, in Acts 27 and 28, it's about to get faster and furiouser. There's, it's going to be, there's going to be, it's going to be action packed. I'm ready. Buckle up. Yeah. We're getting out of the courtroom and out onto the seas. And I think Oh, the seas. Yeah. And wild things happen at sea. Okay. Uh, get ready. There might be more fish for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but we are approaching the end of Acts, and so we are um, heading into the end of our first season and looking forward to whatever happens next on the Breakfast Translation. Thanks for listening. Look, end of story. Who found the last line?